the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Zneimer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. There's hope a landmark American settlement in a massive lawsuit is good news for Canadian victims of the opioid crisis. An Oklahoma judge recently ordered Johnson & Johnson to pay more than half a billion for mounting a misleading marketing campaign, overplaying the effectiveness of its opioids for chronic pain and downplaying the risk of addiction. Johnson & Johnson is just one of the companies implicated. What does that mean for us here? To sort out some of the legal issues, Libby spoke with lawyer Adam Tunnell, who's representing patients in a $1.1 billion proposed class action lawsuit, and Ronald Bohm, a medical malpractice lawyer, as well as pharmacist Dean Miller, who also weighed in. We have to be careful not to get carried away. It's one case in one state where one judge ruled against one defendant. Uh, that said, the allegations uh, directly mirror the allegations in our claim, and they're twofold that the pharmaceutical companies involved uh, overrepresented the effectiveness of the opioids uh, that they marketed to doctors and to the public, and that they underrepresented the dangers, that they were well aware of the severe risk of addiction, and that they underrepresented that risk to both doctors and the public. Ron Bohm, what's your view? Yeah, it helps. Um, it, it really... As we can see from the news that's breaking, it seems every day, uh, suggests that the pharmaceutical companies responsible um, are now sensitive to the direction and the tide. And I would think that it's a great opportunity now for uh, the provincial governments of this country and the territories to pressure in an organized and systematic way uh, these companies towards a settlement that could benefit um, Ontarians in particular, Canadians generally, to recoup some of the tremendous costs, at least the financial ones, that this crisis has caused. And, so and, I do we'll believe continue. it's a good thing. Now I'd like to bring in pharmacist Dean Miller, and he also has uh, some uh, frontline experience with this. And are you, I'm assuming you are still seeing people who are affected by this? It's growing. It's not. It's not subsiding by any means. Um, and quite truthfully, I don't even think you know prescribing habits have changed radically when it comes to these these medications. Really? Now that's surprising. I know that uh, they've probably been tightened up. You know, there are more restrictions on an opioid prescription. I mean, I'm I'm quite shocked to to hear that from you, frankly. Well, yeah, and I mean, there's been a number of initiatives that have taken place in pharmacy. You know, we had, uh, you know, uh, around drugs like fentanyl, we had a, a program called Patch for Patch, uh, you know, that was a number of years ago. And, and, you know, I think pharmacists have played a much bigger role in sort of saying, hey, you know, what? you got a prescription for 100 here, you probably only need to take 10, or you only need to take 20. Um, I think that might have changed a little bit, but boy, we're sure, we sure haven't seen much of a change in the, the number of scripts and, and, and the frequency. Dean, you, you're giving naloxone kits to people just in case, because uh, we, we've heard of cases where, again, it can happen very, very quickly. Well, exactly, Libby. And I think what a lot of people don't know is they're free. You know, just come down to your pharmacy and, and, and get one because they are free. And, you know, if you, if you're on them chronically, you, you never know, 
you know, you never know when, uh, you know, you've taken one too many or, or, or somebody in your family has accidentally taken it because they thought it would be the right thing. I mean, all of these things, they sound pretty, you know, pretty commonplace and they'll never happen in my home, but they do happen. And, and that, you know, you can illustrate that by the number of deaths in the last few years. So everybody that, you know, takes these on a chronic basis should have a naloxone kit uh, in their home. And that's either an ejectable or a nasal spray. Uh, they both work uh, as well, and they both save lives. So, um, you know, it's very important to have that uh, in your home for your family. Ron Baum, what would you like to leave us with on this? Well, I think for people to get a perspective of the magnitude of this problem, uh, most Ontarians would know and expect that probably the biggest, you know, non-natural cause of death in the province has been car crashes for, you know, decades. And so that you get some sense of the size of this terrible problem that these companies created. It's probably double the rate of people dying from opioid deaths unnecessarily than those who are dying from car crashes. Wow. And Adam, what would you like to leave us with? Uh, just to, to remind people that, that we're um, very open to hearing uh, Canadians share their stories with us. I, I know, I'm hoping that they'll share their stories with you uh, on the air as well, but anyone who wants to reach out to the firm um, to learn more about this can do that confidentially. Um, we're happy to talk with anyone who's been impacted this and help them any way we can. Lawyers Adam Tonell, Ronald Bohm, and pharmacist Dean Miller. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick. A recent fiery multi-vehicle crash on the QEW involving a tractor-trailer claimed the life of a young woman. The same week, another crash involving a truck driver charged with careless driving closed eastbound express lanes on the 401. A couple of examples of what seems to be happening more frequently. To find out why there are so many problems with big trucks, Libby talked with OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt, who's seen his share of such collisions, and former commercial truck driver Janet Hewitt, now an instructor at the Ontario Truck Driving School. Boy, oh boy, when big trucks crash, they make a big mess. And we see it all too often. I was at another crash uh, yesterday, 407 at McCowan Road, transport truck. Went right through uh, crash cushion and treatment, went right into the ditch, uh, loaded with juice, uh, separated. The fuel tanks came right off. Uh, the frontal axle ripped off. Uh, truck laying on its side, down into soft gravel. Uh, they were trying to pull it out for the first three or four hours, then had to abandon their efforts uh, because of rush hour traffic. And they went back in after uh, 8 o'clock at night. And the driver charged with uh, driving under suspension, uh, careless driving, and he was actually he was kept in custody and returned to other police jurisdictions where there was outstanding warrants. So uh, again, doesn't matter what this person is driving. If he's driving a small car or a transport truck, if he's causing a problem, uh, it's an issue for us. But when uh, a big truck rolls over, that's when the cleanup can just be horrendously extensive and time-consuming and a huge headache for other motorists that are, that are stuck. And anyone who got stuck on the 401 or the QW in these recent multi-fatal crashes knows uh, the chaos and the headaches that come along with that. Janet Hewitt, why are these things happening? I, I've heard anecdotally that there's a shortage of truck drivers and you have uh, poorly trained or inexperienced drivers. What's your take on this? Inexperience is part of it. The other problem is what Carrie Schmidt said about drivers coming into ramps too fast. I know here when I'm teaching classroom and when we have students out on the road, they are taught that those signs that for ramp speeds are for passenger vehicles, 
So if it's saying 30 kilometers an hour, as a truck driver, you should be going 20. So part of it is inattention. Drivers think that they're better than they are, or it can also be from bad training. Would you say there's a shortage and that's why maybe some people are hiring people who are, you know, less than their first choice otherwise? There's definitely a shortage. There's a shortage of good drivers. Ontario, since 2017, they brought in mandatory entry-level training standards. Uh, They made getting a license more difficult. Unfortunately, there was years of drivers with insufficient training, and they are all fully licensed drivers. So you're not going to see the effects of what is called the MELT program for a few years, but companies will take what they can get. You have to move the freight, and everything you have comes by a truck. So there is a ton of freight to move, and companies some days will take a driver that is has a record, has a lot of incidents on their record because they need people to move freight. And is there more freight now? Freight definitely has gone up. All the online sales, people shop on the Internet. How do you think the products get from warehouses to your home? They come from across the country. It moves by truck. So the freight has definitely increased. Hmm. Sergeant Schmidt, how much of this do you believe is caused by people being tired? Well, yeah, like the crash van last night, uh, we believe the driver may have fallen asleep. But uh, you can also be driving uh, two or three hours and have a big, uh, heavy lunch. And uh, all of a sudden, you get those afternoon uh, heavy eyelids, and all of a sudden, you can't keep your eyes open. So we've seen that as well. I don't want to just uh, stereotype this as just truck drivers. I want to talk to drivers because we have just as many bad drivers in four-wheelers and on motorcycles as we do on transport trucks. And we have very many professional drivers in transport trucks and very many professional motorcycle riders and four-wheeler drivers as well. Um, The problem is it's the bad apples, it's the people that are in a hurry, the people that are pushing, that, that are maybe ignorant to the law. And we've all been stuck behind cars that, uh, you know, drivers aren't paying attention. They don't use their mirrors. They're on their phone. They're not paying attention to their surroundings. And it is absolutely frustrating. It, it is something that we all need to just realize that we're going down the highway uh, at, a, at 30 meters per second or whatever it is at highway speed. Try opening your windows and sticking your head out the sunroof uh, and, and driving. It's, it's pretty noisy out there. But when your windows are closed, the air conditioning is on, you got some nice subtle music playing, um, <laughs> it might put you to sleep. So, you know, driving is active. you got to pay attention. OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt and former commercial truck driver Janet Hewitt, now an instructor at the Ontario Truck Driving School. I'm Bob Komsik, and this is Uma Radio's Best of Fight Back. While there's been much attention the past year and a half about the priority given to streetcars along a stretch of King Street, many drivers don't seem to be getting the message that one can only drive for one block at a time between Bathurst and Jarvis before having to turn right. Since the beginning of what was then a pilot project in November 2017 to just last month, Toronto police have issued 16,000 tickets to drivers for breaking the law. Residents from the neighborhood say drivers break the law constantly and there usually aren't enough officers around to catch them. Police say the culprits are often people from out of town. Libby talked with Toronto Police Sergeant Brett Moore and City Councillor and Deputy Mayor Stephen Holliday. 
this is a very unique piece and always has been um, a piece of real estate downtown where it's transit priority, priority for people, the safe movement of people. And it's a real sort of destination hub with you know, all, the, you know, all the stuff that's going on King Street now. Um, it attracts people to come down there. But in fairness, you know, it's it other than signs and and paint, um, you know, and, you know, it, it's there's no physical barrier stopping people from going in there. So it's still at the same time of attracting all these things. It's still vehicle friendly and and you know all that's a delivery friendly, all those things. And uh, you know, Ubers, cabs still use this uh, this area at the same time. So um, you know, we, we, there's there's uh, it's not an easy place to navigate for folks from out of town. That's for sure. Councillor Holiday, should we give the tourists a break? Well, you know what, as, as strongly as I feel against uh, the council policy personally, it is the, the law of the land and council made the decision to make that pilot permanent. And those signs are in place uh, to prohibit the movements. But if you break them, then I would say that you cause a safety risk because people are not expecting you to make that movement. So, you know, the key message is, is that you know, we expect drivers to follow the law. And uh, if a ticket's issued, the ticket's issued. I believe those signs are really clear. I've been down there many times myself, and I know that the city is going to be adding some LED signs to, uh, to make it even more obvious. I just think it's one of those situations that people are people. You know, you know when you see a path worn in the grass? And instead of taking the sidewalk, everyone takes the shortcut. I think people naturally want to drive through there. And I think people naturally disagree with the pilot. And maybe that's where they're finding themselves saying, ah, the heck with the sign. I need to go right there. Why would I go around the block? And I totally get it, but you do have to follow the rules. I did want to touch on another subject. The mayor was in studio a while back, and, and we were thrilled when he told us that there was going to be a blitz to ticket really inconsiderate drivers who blast uh, whatever music they like so loud that the street shakes or who have these souped up mufflers. And I have numbers, you know, from June 29th to July 5th, that's about a week, 44 tickets. Sergeant Moore, is is this thing continuing or, are, you know, are you still stopping people who do this or is was it a one week wonder? No, officers are still out there. Again, not dedicated every day, all day. Absolutely not. But officers are out there definitely uh, from traffic services. I know for sure um, going out to the, into those areas looking for those types of uh, offenses. Uh, but, you know, 44 tickets, I, I think, was something that was released uh, uh, to the news. Um, but think, think of it this way. Not too many people in souped-up cars uh, when they see an officer floor it. So I'm not so surprised where we get people making uh, complaints of noise and violations and stuff like that. And then when officers go, it's a little bit less, uh, I mean, it's a little bit more subdued. People are on their best behavior uh, when they see a uniformed police car. So we've got officers on motorcycles and bicycles and using different things uh, in these neighborhoods where people are, uh, um, you know, raising the issue. And uh, we're, we're out there for sure. But uh, it's, it's, it's an ongoing uh, challenge in, in different communities. Again, downtown, heavily developed um, areas tend to, you know, tend to echo these types of sounds and stuff like that. But uh, we'll, we'll definitely continue to monitor. Councillor Holiday, what would you like to leave us with on this as we head into uh, the long weekend with lots of driving? Well, just uh, I hope people obey the signs. I mean, they're in place, uh, whether we agree with them or not, or how we personally feel. We've got to make sure that we follow the laws to make sure things are safe. But most importantly, when ca- when council talks about these changes, like the pilot project that was put in in King Street and made permanent, speak up, speak your voice up, and uh, make sure you're heard. Because I went through this fight, and it wasn't a fair fight. 
it was overwhelmingly accepted by council. And I think, uh, you know, as I listen to your callers and many others, I'm not sure that everyone's mind is the same on it. Sergeant Moore, how about you as we head into the long weekend? Well, definitely. We know, folks, it's the last long weekend of the summer and uh, definitely going to get the message out there about uh, not just King Street Pilot, because we know there's way more road safety than just uh, King Street. Uh, so we're going to spend the, spend the time on the long weekend uh, out there paying attention to uh, uh, impaired drivers, drivers on our highways and our roadways that are speeding, distracted, those things. So our big four offenses, we're going to be out there and uh, uh, along with other uh, police services across the province and uh, looking for those types of violations to keep it safe. Toronto Police Sergeant Brett Moore and City Councillor and Deputy Mayor Stephen Holliday. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick. If you're planning on going to the U.S. soon, listen up and make sure there's nothing in your bag to provoke U.S. Customs. We all know you can't take marijuana into the States, even though it's legal here and in a number of states. But CBD oil? CBD is the non-psychoactive ingredient in marijuana. It won't make you high, but it may help relieve your pain or help you sleep. A B.C. woman's just one of those facing a lifetime ban for trying to cross the border with a bottle of CBD oil. And there are all kinds of issues that could bring the same outcome. Libby explored this with immigration lawyers Giddy Mammon in Toronto and Len Saunders in Blaine, Washington. Canadian clients who've had issues at the border with regards to cannabis, it's hundreds. With regards to CBD oil, it's only recently, and I've had two almost identical cases within the last two weeks. So in the past, it's been, you know, individuals who've admitted to smoking cannabis in the past or people who have invested in the U.S. cannabis industry, um, or people who were caught with cannabis at a port of entry. But what these recent cases show is there's a whole wide variety of uh, upcoming issues when edibles and other kind of derivatives become legal in Canada, and they're selling them, and people are going to unknowingly buy them and bring them to, to the U.S. like these two individuals did. Giddy Mammon, does this surprise you, CBD oil? Uh, not really. Uh, I would have advised any client who's thinking of uh, going across the border with any kind of cannabis derivative uh, to be very, very careful. And in this particular case, uh, first of all, you, you know that in the United States, uh, some forms of CBD oil containing less than 0.3% THC uh, has recently become acceptable. You can buy the stuff at a Walgreens uh, you know, there's lots of places where you can buy it now in the United States. The problem is that Canadians uh, don't understand that even if you're going from a place like British Columbia where it's legal and you're going to Washington State where it may be legal, you're crossing the very thin thread of federal jurisdiction as you cross the border. And, so, and this is not necessarily legal federally. It has to be under a very, very specific amount of THC uh, in order to be uh, considered uh, appropriate in, in the United States. Unfortunately, I think this particular woman who just recently tried to enter the States and was uh, denied entry believed that the, uh, the oil that she had complied with that. She was told that it does not, that it, that it's THC free. Uh, it appears that it was not. And now she has uh, one heck of a problem on her hands because she's going to need a waiver forever now. And it's not a pleasant process at all. It's a very invasive process. Len Saunders, some people think that if they have a prescription, can they bring this stuff across? Absolutely. Like People don't understand that it's still a controlled substance, regardless of how they obtained it. So wait a minute. What I'm saying, if you have a prescription that you can show the customs officer, can you take it in or not? 
No, in my experience, no. You <laughs> cannot take it. Uh, uh, Libby, you cannot take it because uh, your doctor in, in Ontario cannot overcome U.S. federal law. The FDA has only approved a single drug, I think it's called the uh, Epidiolex, uh, which is used to treat uh, kids with seizures. So unless it's under 0.3 or it's that particular drug, uh, it doesn't matter who gave it to you and who said you can take it or should take it. That, that prescription does not protect you whatsoever. The federal law will apply as, antiqui- as antiquated as it might be. Giddy, uh, you know, what do you want to tell people about this whole situation? Well, one of the uh, terrible sort of side effects of this process is that you could be required uh, to sign an authorization um, uh, directing your family physician to release all of your medical records uh, to immigration authorities in the United States to make sure that you don't you're not suffering from a drug addiction. So not only do you have to uh, disclose all of your medical history, you have to get a uh, a designated uh, physician uh, to sign off and say that based on the information he has or she has, uh, you don't have an addiction. And this can create uh, enormous problems for people, never mind the embarrassment, uh, et cetera, of having your information, uh, you know, all over the uh, U.S. immigration uh, uh, database. So that's another very serious thing to consider. Uh, so I would tell people just be exercise tremendous caution. When I travel across the border, I don't even know if oranges are allowed across the border or not. I just don't take them because I'm not sure and it's not worth researching it. Just leave your stuff at home and uh, buy whatever you need on the other side. Okay, sounds like good advice. And Len Saunders, what would you like to leave us with on this? Well, with these recent cannabis oil issues at the ports of entry and with more byproducts, you know, whether it's edibles or oils or lotions becoming available, in stores in Canada, I just caution people to be careful what they bring over the border. Anything cannabis-related could result in a lifetime bar. Immigration lawyers Giddy Mammon in Toronto and Len Saunders in Washington State. I'm Bob Comsick. This is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby's Nimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio and here are some of the best calls of the week. Jerry from East York called to say driving restrictions on King keep him away from downtown. I never go downtown. Like I work a lot of places, but I don't I don't drive downtown because it's so confusing and hectic. I got a ticket there a few months ago. I got onto King Street somehow. It's not obvious, like the cops saying, it's not obvious. It targets tourists or people who don't go downtown. Rick and Etobicoke weighed in on truck driving safety. I've been driving for 43 years. What happened in the trucking industry is when they brought in deregulation. And that got rid of all the big companies and it made people haul cheap. And just the other day, I had to back a guy's trailer into a door. The guy was driving for two days. But a lot of times the cars are cutting in and out of traffic, in and out of traffic, and they don't understand these vehicles don't stop on a dime. And now... Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Norm in North York on why we're seeing more crashes involving big rigs. When companies need to save money, improve their bottom line, they trim safety, they trim wages, and things that attract drivers 
since deregulation back in the 80s has sort of messed things up a little. And then what do you get? Less qualified drivers. And they learn just enough to pass the test. And after that, nobody tells them what to do. And you were a driver, right, Norm? Oh, I was for decades. I got in just around the time deregulation started. Many of the truck drivers that have been doing it for decades were just shaking their head. And they said, my God, this is going to be a nightmare. Everybody and anybody, like in other countries, you want to start a bus company, buy a bus and a chalkboard and say where you're going and how much. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us between noon and one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, also 96.7 FM downtown. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Bob Comsick in for the vacationing Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend for a roundup of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer.